Well, praise God. Can you guys hear me out there? Well, you know, I've known Alex Clattenburg, Pastor Alex Clattenburg, my whole entire life. He worked with my dad um, before I was born. <laughs> and uh, I've heard his name throughout the years. I'm turning 42 this year. And I've heard his name throughout the years only associated with faithfulness to God. An integrous man of God. In a world full of, of shooting stars, aren't you interested in a constant star? God's not into shooting stars. He's into constant stars. They stay fixed in the constellations. That's the work of the Spirit. Longevity, faithfulness, integrity, killing the devil with the fundamentals. That's the key. And so I just want to honor Pastor Alex and just say thank you so much. I'm honored to be here and to be a part of this. He's, he is inc he's incredibly quick-witted, isn't he? <laughs> he had so many jokes back there, and, and I was just like, wow, well, I, I got to keep up. I got to keep up. Well, I want to I preach Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Yeah. How many of you have lost interest in everything else? I've lost interest in everything else. I want to proclaim this man, Jesus Christ, and only proclaim this man, Jesus Christ, because it's the only thing that makes sense to the angels who behold his face. So I want to talk to you tonight about the loveliness of Jesus. This uh, word lovely is incredible. It actually means to excite love. So we're going to talk about the loveliness of Jesus, meaning the person of Christ excites love in your heart. The scriptures call him altogether lovely, meaning everything about him causes all of you to love all of him. Any sight of Christ creates love for him. That's his splendor and beauty. And that's what I want to dive into tonight and take a look at it. I try every day of my life to focus my attention upon the loveliness of Jesus because I find that there's a problem in me and it is I constantly find that my love cools. But if I will consistently look at the lovely one, he will keep it aglow. He will keep it aflame. He'll be the keeper of the flame, the keeper of my faith. If I would just look to him, even the scriptures tell us that looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. How does he author it and how does he finish it? By you looking at him. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. How many of you are with me? There's a quote from Jonathan Edwards. He said, the beauty of Christ bows the will and draws the heart. Think about those two things. The beauty of Christ, when you see him as he in fact is, he is, he is, he will never be anything otherwise than all fair. Is there not a charm in his every feature? As you look at him, your will begins to bow and your heart is drawn to him. So that's our intention tonight is to look at the loveliness of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I think of Philippians chapter 1 you guys have read this many times when Paul is betwixt, remember, on one side he wants to stay alive so that he can 
encourage and strengthen the church. But on the other hand, he says this statement, he says, but to be with Christ is far better. And he's in between, he could die. And he's like, I don't know which one I want. It's better that I stay here for you. But then he says, but to be with Christ, right? is far better, which shows me something. That Christianity is not about merely escaping hell and going to heaven. Because he doesn't say to be in heaven is better. He says, no, to be with Christ is far better. Which shows me it's not just about escaping hell and going to heaven. It's about affections for the man Christ Jesus. That's the essence of this whole thing. Christianity is falling in love with Jesus all over again, over and over and over again by sight of him. And so we're going to consider three things tonight. One, what he is. Two, what he's like. And three, what he's done. For in these three things, you can see the beauty and loveliness of the man Christ Jesus. You follow me? Are you excited? I'm super excited. I've pulled some things out. You know, the scriptures are alive, are they not? And sometimes you look at your Bible and you don't know if you're looking at your Bible or if your Bible's looking at you. The pages seem to breathe. Andrew Murray said, in worship, God lifts us up to be with him, but in the word, he swoops down to be with us. There's something about the word of God that is bred from another world. It seems men are slaves to their own lusts until they sit at the feet of him who feeds with bread from another world. That's what the scriptures are. The Bible's the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. And so that's what we look to tonight is the presence of Jesus to unlock the scriptures. How many know the outer shell of the scriptures have got to be cracked by the weight of his presence so that living voice can come out. You can hear the living Christ. That's what we're looking for tonight. So what he is, you know, A.W. Tozer once wrote this, what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. What comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. He goes on to say this, idolatry is entertaining thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. What's he trying to pin down? He's trying to pin down, we must see him as he in fact is. I remember old Art Katz, deceased prophet, he said, is not the root of all of our ills the failure to radically apprehend God as he really is? It's to see him as he is. And that's what the scriptures do for us. So we will look at him because the right side of God brings man low in worship. It lifts him high and prays. It bends his knee in prayer. It opens his hands in trust. It grins his mouth with joyful satisfaction. It lays him in peaceful sleep. It brightens his eyes with gratitude. It dashes him with conviction. It melts his heart with love. It shudders his knees with fear. It humbles him to the dust. It makes obedience a delight, sorrow passing and persecution beautiful. That's what the sight of Christ does. And so what I want to do in looking at what he is, is I'm pulled a couple of scriptures. These are all scriptures and to save time, I'm just going to read them and not tell you where they're at. <laughs> you can Google them. But one of the things that really sticks out to me about this, who he is or what he is, I'm seeing today in the church that we tend to forget what he actually is. 
And we start talking about him and treating him and acting around him in a way that is, it's as if we don't even know who we're talking about. Have you seen this recently in the midst of Christianity? It's like, wait, wait, wait. Do you know who you're talking about when you say this? When you look at the scriptures at God's self-disclosure of what he is, what he wants you to know about himself, it should cause a bit of a frightening on the inside of you. You should have a bit of a shudder in your knees when you think about who he actually is. And this, I think, is missing in a lot of places. But tonight, we're going to look at the scriptures and let God breathe upon this flame in our hearts. A couple of things the scriptures say that are incredible. He calculates the dust of the earth and he weighs the mountains. Now, throw out poetry and think about what's actually being said. He calculates the dust of the earth and he weighs the mountains. The scriptures ask a question, who can counsel him? The nations themselves are called a drop in the bucket. They are quote, nothing before him. Actually, he calls them meaningless. The scripture says he sits above the circle, not of the earth only, but of the heavens. The scriptures tell us that he humbles himself to look upon the angels and the earth. He humbles himself to even give attention to the things that are going on, not just on the, in the heavens. That's incredible to me, this kind of person that we're talking about. The scripture tells us he blows upon men and they wither to nothing. The scripture says, to whom can you liken him? Can you find an equal? The scripture tells us that he, he has created the stars and by his own power, none of them, quote, go missing. He knows those stars or names those stars, those heavenly flames. He counts their numbers and knows their names, as the old hymn says. He's an everlasting God called the creator of the ends of the earth. He never gets tired. He declares things before they happen. He's called the warrior who is undefeated. The scripture tells us that none can deliver out of his hand and no one can reverse the things that he does. This is who we're talking about when we talk about God, God Almighty. The scriptures show us also, he calls himself the first and the last. He says, there is no God besides me. He actually goes on this rant in Isaiah and he says this, who is like me? Let him recount it to me. Can he describe to me the beginning? Tell me the things that are coming. Can he tell me the things that are coming? Let him tell me the events that are about to take place. Who is this man that sees to be my equal? Is there any God besides me? Is there any other rock or solid foundation? I know of none, God says. Praise God. This is incredible. So we look at these things and we see... This nature that he has, he calls himself the maker, obviously, of all things that he spread out the heavens all alone, he says. I had no help. I'm the one who did all this myself. He says he makes rough places smooth. He shatters doors of bronze and he cuts through iron bars. Nine times in Isaiah 45, he says, there is no other God but me that I have no equal. Nine times in a row. 
God is showing us who he is. To whom will you liken him? He has no equal. Who is even comparable to him? He declares the end from the beginning. Oh my goodness. He says, I am the one who refines you as silver. I'm the one who tests you in the furnace of affliction. He speaks out and he says that he is the potter and men are his clay. Goodness gracious. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say things like this. What right does the clay have to say to the potter, make me like this? And then Paul goes on to say, how unsearchable are the riches of his wisdom. Praise God. I'm saying, we're talking about what he is. And we're gonna, go, we're gonna get down into the heart of it. And in the end of Isaiah, there's this statement that moves my heart. Isaiah says that God says through him, all will come and bow down before me, everyone. Jeremiah jumps in and he starts talking and he says, I am the Lord who creates or even exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness in the earth. I delight in these things. Jeremiah says, there is nobody like you. You are great and great is your name. You hear these things about the name of the Lord and it's not the syllables put together that's being emphasized. Like if you say Jesus, there's something special about the J-E-S-U-S. It's not that. It's what the name is representing. His character, his nature, his goodness, all that he's done. Let me give it to you like this. If I was entering a basketball tournament and I said, hey bro, I'm gonna give you a player on your team. And you said, okay, who is he? And I say, Michael. You'd say, okay, uh, Okay, what's he like? I don't know anything about it. But if I said Michael Jordan, you'd say, yes. Why? Because you know the name, because you know the history, because you know the legend, because you know who he is and what he's capable of. That's why we worship the name and praise the name and love the name, not just because of the syllables, but because of who he has declared and showed himself to be and proved himself to be. <laughs> praise God. John Piper said this, he said, to the degree our praise is without feeling, we diminish the one we praise. What's he trying to say? He's saying, look at what the Bible says, believe it and you will praise the Lord. As C.S. Lewis said it like this, he said, praise is the commencement of enjoyment. So if I had a cup of coffee and I drink that cup of coffee, the flavors burst on my tongue, I drink it down, it gets warm in my chest and I say, oh, that is good coffee. I just praised with my mouth what I enjoyed. C.S. Lewis says, praise is the commencement of enjoyment. In other words, when you see God for who he is and you say, oh my goodness, that's praise. A better modern day translation for the word praise would be, wow. How many of you seen the Lord do something or hear what God has done in somebody's life or seen God come through in something impossible and you go, oh my goodness. That's praise, praise God. And so when we look at his name and we see what he's like, it causes praise to rise up on the inside of us. He made the earth by his own power. He established the world by his own wisdom. He stretched out the heavens by his understanding. He speaks and there's a tumult in the heavens. The scripture says he makes lightning for the rain and the wind he, he stores up in storehouses. This is incredible. He tells the snow to fall to the earth. What is this personally involved, loving, all-pervading all consciousness that God himself is in and all? He says, I fill the heavens and the earth. 
What in the world is this that we're talking about? It is God Almighty, unmatched, unparalleled. Daniel says that he has a throne and that there's flashes of fire around his throne and that there is a, a burning lake of fire that flows out from underneath his throne. What in the world is this? The scripture says he surrounds himself with lightning and the sound of it declares his presence. Next time you hear thunder, say he's declaring his presence here. What in the world are we missing when we talk about God very lightly, when we don't see the greatness of his holy name, when we don't recognize who it is that we're talking about? He says that there is nothing, listen to these words, this is from God's mouth, there is nothing too difficult for him. Nothing is too difficult for him. He is so good to us. I think that if our hearts recognize these things and believe them, it would shift the way that we see everything. If we believe the things God tells us about himself, then I think we can believe that worry is the seed of atheism. God is exalted. Who can know him? Nobody can number his troops. He, listen to this one, he hangs the earth upon nothing. Guys, if this doesn't make you say, oh my goodness, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what the Bible is trying to bring us to. Remember who he is. That's the first thing that we're talking about is what he is. And I'm spending the most time on this because I feel like this is the one most needed for us. Maybe you're in a trial right now. Maybe you're in a situation right now and you really need to just believe what God has said about you and believe what God has said about himself and believe what God has declared himself to be and revealed himself to be. It will help you have faith in God to see him as he in fact is. So he hangs the earth on nothing. The scriptures say that he clears the heavens with an exhale. He clears the heavens with a... That's crazy to me. Absolutely crazy. I think that if we actually believe these things, we would recognize that awe and majesty belong to him. Uh, Nahum says that he rebukes the sea and it becomes dry. Have you seen the ocean? Imagine it all becoming dry in a moment because God said, no, I can't, even, I can't even take this in. But that's the essence of who we're talking about. We see that Micah says that the mountains melt underneath him and split like wax, like wet wax, if his presence was to manifest itself in fullness. The scripture shows us in Habakkuk that rays of light flow forth from his hands, that he has arrows of light and he has a glittering spear. I don't know. It's beautiful though. <laughs> Haggai says, I will overthrow the nations and thrones and kingdoms. I will overthrow everyone by the sword of one another. In other words, he has the ability to turn nations against each other. This is incredible. The Bible tells us he puts a king up and puts him down. There, there, there's just no reason to worry. I'm not saying that we don't, we become inactive. We work according to the spirit and in cooperation with God, but we live in trust. And we say, this is my God. So I, I point out these things because I feel like if we see God as this, not only will we humble ourselves, but we'll be able to have faith enough to say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who challenges the armies of the living God? 
I, I think we'll be able to stand up in faith and say, you come to me with spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, whose armies you defy today. I feed your flesh to the birds. And all the world will know that there's Yahweh in Israel, praise God. I wonder if this Davidic understanding of God would grip a hold of a heart today and cause the most timid person to become the most bold proclaimer of the gospel because they believe what God said about himself. I think all the problems that we have in this room can be solved by simply believing what God has already told you. You don't need, I'm not against, I'm not against anything and I'm not bashing anything. I'm just saying there is mighty wonder working power in believing what God has already said. And sometimes that's the greatest prophetic word you can ever get. It's just to hear what God has already said about himself and say, yes, I'm standing on that with both feet, praise God. And so we move on from there and we look at what he's like. So you see this grand person that we're talking about who hangs the earth on nothing, who is light, he's surrounded by lightning. He tells the rain when to go and the light, he, this incredible being, but what's he like though? What's he like? What's his character? What's his nature? Well, the scriptures show us some incredible things. Number one, he blesses everyone who chooses to take refuge in him. It's, it's as if he's a wide open door saying, whoever comes in here, I will bless you. He, he has this way about him where he, he wants to be a shield around you. How many of you want that God to be a shield around you? Well, all you have to do is fear the Lord <laughs> and say, yes, I will follow you. I, I bow my knees to you. He lifts his countenance upon us. He, this is what he's like. I'm telling you what he's like. He likes to lift his countenance. In other words, he wants to shine his face on your life. And the scripture says he wants to put joy in your heart more than the time when their corn and their wine increased. He wants to fill your heart with bursting joy. This is what he's like. He wants to surround you with favor. He, he has this heart for you that he, he wants to take thought of you. The scripture says, what is man that you're mindful of him? Full, your mind is full of man. He, you're thinking of him, desiring him. Can you believe this? What's he like? If you turn over to, to Exodus chapter 34, I want to show you a, a quick inst instance in the scriptures where I see something incredible here. Moses is asking God to show him himself. And if you look at verse five, the scripture says that Moses rose up early in the morning and he went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets. The Lord descended in the cloud and he stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed in front of him and he proclaimed his name. I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, the Lord God. I am compassionate and gracious. I am slow to anger and I'm abounding in loving kindness and truth who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, yet will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And Moses falls down on his face in worship. Why? Because God just showed him his heart and his character and what he's like. You say, Eric, I just don't understand what's so powerful about that. God, the mighty, glorious God we were just talking about, told you that his heart is compassionate for you. you maybe you don't know what the word compassion means. The word compassion means he's drawn to your weaknesses. That great being, is drawn to your weaknesses. Your weaknesses attract him to you by virtue of the fact that he is savior. 
He desires to save you. One of my friends likes to say it like this. The things about you that make you cringe most make God hug tightest. There's this, this compassion that God has and he's, he's merciful and he's gracious. He desires to bless you, to carry you, to keep you, to pick you up. This is who he is. So we've talked about what he is in this great grand scheme of the almighty divine God. Then we see that he's what he's like. Both of these things should steal your heart away. But now we're gonna go home to the root of the whole issue. And this is where I'm gonna bring things to a close. So this great God of Israel, who shows himself to be kind, he then manifests the fullness of his kindness, his gentleness, his attraction to your weakness by dropping down out of heaven by the weight of love into the restrictions and frailties of a human body. That's called Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the God of Israel in the flesh. Okay, Jesus Christ is the God of Israel in the flesh. Goodness gracious. That in and of itself, to believe that is to change everything that a man would think about Jesus and the things that he said and did. Because if you believe Jesus is the God of Israel in the flesh, then you would take every syllable that comes from his mouth and say, God's words have been spoken to my heart, to my life. So I'm gonna pull a couple scriptures out to really bring this home. John 1.14, many of you have read this. The scripture says that the word of God is, says right there in the first verse that the word was God. Then down in the 14th verse, it says the word, which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. The one who controls all things. As a matter of fact, the scripture goes on to say crazy things like this. He works all things after the counsel of his will in, in Ephesians 1.11. That's incredible. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. How, how about this one? The scripture says that his wisdom is unsearchable. In other words, his wisdom, you can't even begin to get on the path to search it out because it's so vast. Not only this, it says that his, his wisdom is, is unscrutinable or unscrutable. You can't actually figure it out. It's literally like God has taken his wisdom. Not only did he put it on Mars, but he buried it somewhere on the planet. You will never find it. And not only this, but the scripture tells us all things are his servants. Psalm 119.91, all things are his servants. Or how about this one? None of his purposes can be thwarted, Job tells us. What is this great God? Well, he dropped down into a human body and he tabernacled among men. That's incredible. It should shift the way that we see what Jesus is. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says God is made manifest in the flesh. Colossians 1.19 says, it was the pleasure of God that the fullness of God would dwell inside of this human body. And then you see things like this. Galatians chapter one, verse four says, he, who are we talking about when we say he? God almighty in a human body. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. 
That is a charm in his every feature. That is the beauty and loveliness. If that doesn't win your heart, then I don't know if there's any hope for us if that can't win our hearts. Every romantic movie you've ever seen that you thought was so great and you cried, is, it pales in comparison to the creator of the universe coming down into his own creation, restricted and frail and broken to be beaten and killed by them in order that he might save them. There's nothing like this. It's, it's unmatched. That's why it's called the good news. In Ephesians chapter two, we see as well that this great gospel is beyond anything that a man can actually put his, his mind on. He can't wrap his mind around it because it, it contains within it the very potency of God himself. And if a man would believe it, he would be transfigured by it. Why? Because it will cause him to see God as he is, the nature and character of God. Let's look at two more scriptures and then we'll be done. Is that all right? Take a look at uh, Philippians chapter two. And we're talking about this great God, what he is, what he is like, and this is what he has done. The scripture says that Jesus Christ, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. Okay, let's, let's just take a second. Don't let these words pass over your ears, glide over your ears because you've heard them so many times. Think deeply about what we're talking about based upon what we've already said of this great God and what he's like now manifest in the flesh. You know, Spurgeon said, it's one thing to read. It's another thing to meditate. Just like it's one thing to gather the corn, it's another thing to eat it. To just read it is one thing, but to think about it, that's where you start getting nourishment. So think about this. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, being made in the likeness of men. God, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Naked, bleeding, suffocating. He who wore the diadem of the ages is crowned with thorns. The all-seeing eye consents to be blindfolded. The hands that fashioned the world are fastened with nails. This is beauty that can't even be comprehended. It should win the heart. It should bow the will it should draw the heart, a twisted crown of thorns, too small in size, pressed into God's brow and blood flows in, in his eyes. It blinds him to everything but the prize. This is humility personified, the blood of God not realized. And though men love things that are deified, but not a God that's crucified, but that's my God, he comes and he dies. Oh, precious blood of him who loved me so. His hands are nailed, his head hangs low, his body is broken, his back is slashed open. The splintering cross is soaked in blood. Oh, what love and a love of me and I see his glory when his feet are 
upon the sea, but never such glory as when they're fastened to the tree. The breath of life breathes out his ghost with a dismayed angelic host and naked God upon the post. He's mostly red. Come down, they said. Man's faith is dead, but God bled for sin to bring Adam back in. I, here's the last scripture of the night, and this is where I want to make my appeal. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is absolutely incredible. Remember the God we just talked about. His purposes cannot be thwarted. He makes lightning for the rain. He hangs the earth on nothing. That God, who is also gracious and compassionate and kind, has manifested his graciousness, his compassion and kindness in this. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. I, I said all this to say, we, I, I wanted to talk about the loveliness of Jesus. How, can you not see the loveliness of Jesus in these three points? That this grand, great, glorious being, all sufficient one, is kind, so kind and so loving that he would become a man and suffer and die in your stead. Maybe your love for Christ has been suffering and this is why I'm sent here today. It's to spark love for Christ. Maybe, maybe something else or somebody else captivates your heart more than Jesus. Let's get rid of that tonight by coming to Christ and saying, Lord, I recognize that I would much rather spend time with this person than you. Let, let's come to Christ and be like, I recognize that this moves my heart more than you. It's not wrong to have other things. It's wrong to have things above him. And so if you're here tonight and you're in your, let's just talk real. Let, maybe you've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend and they move your heart more than God. He didn't die for you. She ain't bled for you. Maybe you have, maybe you have a pursuit in your life that has more of your attention than God. Well, that pursuit didn't pursue you from heaven to earth. Maybe you're here tonight and and you would much rather just hear what other people have to say than to read this that he has shown you of himself. Maybe you're here tonight and your, your will continually trumps his will. Let me tell you right now, that's the opposite of marriage. Marriage is the loss of self in another. And when we're married to God, we give up our will to his will. That's love. Love is I prefer you above me. So when Jesus says crazy statements like this in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, he says, if any man loves father or mother more than me, they're not worthy of me. Why? Because they don't even see who I am. There's no way you can see who I am and what I've done and love somebody more than me. You think about it like this. If, you're, if a guy is going to marry a girl and he says to the girl, you know, 
I love you, but I'm never gonna love you more than my mom. Do you think she's gonna be like, oh, that's cool. No, she wants to be first because she's gonna be his wife. Are you following me? So in the same way, when Jesus says, if any man loves father or mother more than me, they're not worthy of me. All he's saying is, will you marry me? Will you love me most? Will you put me first? Will you recognize who I am, what I'm like and what I've done so that it will steal your heart? As St. Augustine said, he stole my heart and he ran away to heaven with it. But then Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, if any man doesn't love me more than his own life, Do you love me, Jesus says, more than your own life? Am I more important to you than you? That's where the rubber really meets the road because self and spirit are diametrically opposed to each other. They're oil and water, they're mutually exclusive. You have one or you have the other. A lot of people walk in self and profess spirit, but it doesn't last very long. (laughs) So my point here tonight is this, Jesus wants to reignite love in our hearts. Maybe you you already love the Lord, but you feel like the Lord really is pulling you closer. And I think it's right here in meditation upon what he is, what he's like, and that manifested in what he has done. Stand to your feet with me if you can. Is it okay that I preach the gospel to you tonight? I know the Holy Spirit is here and he is working and speaking to hearts in this room right now. You know, it's really up to you to respond to him or not. It's, I mean, I could sit here and try to pull everybody down here or, or make you look at each other and, and make it awkward. But here's the reality. If you really want the Lord, he has offered himself. He's, he's here. And the invitation tonight, and I believe this is divinely orchestrated, I stand here tonight, divinely orchestrated, to give to everyone here a fresh invitation to say, Lord, I'm putting you above everybody and I'm putting you, your word, your presence above everything else. That doesn't mean you don't have anything else. It just means he has your heart without competition. Does that make sense? Yeah, so just put your hand on your heart with me. God knows your heart. Just, let's just pray this together with sincerity. God's not really listening to our words. He listens to our hearts. Say this, say, Jesus, search my heart, God. Examine me even now. Show me any area where my affections have died, where I've replaced you, where I've put other things above you. I open my heart vulnerably and I say, show it to me and I'll give it up to you because you're more important to me.